We all carry things. Each of us has stuff that weighs us down. But what about the things that we pile onto ourselves? The things that we choose and indulge and turn to, even when we know we shouldn't? And what about the times when we tempt others to do the same? Hi, I'm Stuart. It's my pleasure to welcome you to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. We're delighted you could join us today from wherever you find yourself. If you're close by and want to join us in person, then please come along on Sunday mornings at 11am. There's no need to book, but face masks are still required. Otherwise, you can join us on all of our platforms. Pop over to saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk for all the links to our videos, podcasts and social media. Don't forget, you can donate to the local food bank every Sunday from 1 to 2.30pm at St Ninian's. And this week there's also a prize tombola from 1 to 3pm, so pop down, donate and also have the chance to win a gift. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Anne and Jim Cowan. This morning's reading is from Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. Whoever is not against us is for us. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Causing to stumble If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Lord Acton once wrote in a letter to a bishop, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. But that's not us, right? We're not great for a start and we don't have any power, so it's totally not about us. That's about leaders and politicians, kings and queens, billionaires, the great industrial and financial oligarchs who seem to live by different rules from the rest of us. But here we are in Mark's Gospel with Jesus having exactly that conversation with a bunch of the most ordinary people imaginable, his disciples. This is a difficult and often misunderstood passage which in many ways isn't helped by separating it from last week's passage or even from the rest of the story because without some of that context it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Worse, it could and has been taken to mean all kinds of things that it doesn't. Let's remind ourselves then of that context. Last week, we heard a scolding from Jesus as his disciples argued about which one of them was the greatest. To be first, you have to become servant of all, especially the least like a child. 
And the next thing we hear is the disciples being childish. That guy over there is doing stuff in your name. He's not even one of our gang. What are you going to do about it? Mark's gospel is about power. Power is mostly based on the will to dominate. That's the heart of the quote I began with. Great men are almost always bad men because greatness is the world's way of measuring things. Usually means beating and winning and triumphing over someone else. Who's the greatest is usually answered by who's won the most or got the most or taken the most. That's especially true when we look back at when this gospel was written. Mark's gospel is about power. Power is mostly based on the will to dominate. That's the heart of the quote I began with. Great men are almost always bad men because greatness in the world's way of measuring things usually means beating, winning, triumphing over someone else. Who's the greatest is usually answered by who has won the most or got the most or taken the most. That's especially true when we look at the time this gospel was written. The great military empires were all about that kind of power. And to be at the very top, you had to be absolutely ruthless. That's all very well, but I'm not Caesar and neither are you. And to be honest, we're not likely to be in charge of an empire either. So how does this relate to us? The quest for power starts small. I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. I'm the greatest. What I want matters more than what you want. I want. And if I can't have it, then I don't want you to have it either. When the disciples see this guy doing something that they can't, they close ranks. We're insiders, he's an outsider. He's not authorised. We want to control this. That's what we do with things, isn't it? We have rules and membership criteria. We say who can do what. We say who can do what and that some people can't do some things. We impose sanctions and punishments on people who step out of line and reward those that comply. And a touch of jealousy added into that and, well, you've got a pretty heady mix of forces. Why do the disciples care if some guy is casting out demons in Jesus' name? Isn't that a good thing? But then we check back a few verses and discover the disciples had been unable to do the same thing. They tried to cast out a demon from a boy and they couldn't. And when they asked Jesus why, he tells them that the key to the power to heal the boy is prayer and they're not properly connected to the real source of power. That would be enough, surely. A lesson in humility. Settle down, boys. You've still got a lot to learn. Don't try to run before you can walk. What comes next, though, seems to go way over the top. All this talk about drowning and chopping off limbs and the burning fires of hell. What? And salt and fire? What's, what's that all about? Well, let's deal with hell first, because it's important. Most of us have heard about the burning fires of hell all of our lives. We've probably been told at some point that if we behave badly, then we'll go to the bad fire. We probably have a view of hell that's been compounded by years and years of exposure to movies and books and sermons and paintings and poems, all of which paint an awful picture of some fiery place of eternal torture and suffering. And some of that comes from passages like this, because people read it literally and out of context. And to be honest, to use as something to scare people into doing what they say, behave or you'll go to the bad fire. This is one of those moments where we need to read the text very, very carefully and notice some of the things that aren't even 
aren't even the words on the page. If you're reading a Bible, there will often be a little number or letter after a word. And lower down on the page, there'll be what's called a footnote. And that tells us that a choice has been made when this word has been translated. It could have been something else, but for whatever reason, the translators went with the word in the text. But it could have been another word. And that's really important because translation isn't an exact science, especially when you're translating something into English, which is notoriously complex as a language. It doesn't follow the same formulas and structures as other languages do. In this passage then, every time the word hell appears, there's one of those little letters after it. And when we look at the footnote, it has the word Gehenna. And Gehenna is a place name. It's a valley outside Jerusalem where the pagans used to sacrifice children to their gods. And so it became a place synonymous with evil and suffering. Jesus has been talking in metaphors. And this is the same. Cut off your hand or your foot or poke out your eye if they cause you to stumble. Another interesting choice of translation. We've often translated stumble as sin. That's what the King James Version says. But stumble is much more accurate. This is about what discipleship looks like. But it's Mark's Gospel. So this is also what it means to live in a community that's under threat. This Gospel was written, we think, for a community of Christians living in and around Rome. They were under real threat from people outside their community and from people inside it. But who's doing the stumbling? But who is doing the stumbling? Well, firstly, it's the disciples being warned about putting stumbling blocks in front of others. This guy who's doing good things in Jesus' name, leave him alone. Why would you try to make problems for him? It's what we do so often though, isn't it? We make things hard for people. We form wee cliques and develop behaviours and even special language that makes it difficult for outsiders to join in. We place stumbling blocks to test people, to check if they really want to join in and measure up. That's sometimes important. Especially if you are, say, a community living in the midst of people who want to find you and throw you to the lions. What does a community like that do with those who are traitors and sellouts? You cut them off. It's best for everyone. Mark's community of believers live in fear of death, but, and this is hugely important, Jesus is talking about how to live out kingdom values. And one of those values is non-violence. That means that even when someone is cut off, asked to leave, that forgiveness and restoration are always possible. This is another one of those choices in translation though. Stumbling makes sense. The big image Jesus uses is one of following the way, so talking about things that cause us to stumble or fall or leave the path makes sense. But Mark uses a word we might not really expect. Scandalise. Scandal is a moral wrongdoing, a behaviour or action that goes against what's morally right. I wonder, what are the things that cause each of us to stumble? What are the things that lead us from the path? The things that grab our attention and divert us from where we should be going? The things that scandalise us? And how do we deal with people who cause others to stumble? And how do we deal with people who cause others to stumble? The words we translate as sin all mean stumble, trip, fall or transgress. It's easy to condemn sinners, even though we are all sinners. But it's much harder to be mad at someone who's tripped up 
or falling over. Perhaps that's a clue about how we should treat each other when things go wrong. How often is the church a place where grace, reconciliation and forgiveness are absent? That should never be the case, so let's try once more to make that community of love and acceptance a reality for everyone. We all trip up, we all fall over, and we all take the wrong road sometimes. The measure of our community is surely how we catch each other as we stumble, help each other up, and patch up the cuts and scrapes, and go looking for those who wander off and help to bring them home without judgement or recrimination. And if we have no interest in doing that, then what kind of life have we consigned ourselves to? So, may our own millstones be removed. May we be bringers of grace and peace to all who need it. Prayer for others and ourselves. Gracious God, in times of change, in times of hope mixed with apprehension, in times when we look for certainty, for answers, but find only more questions, we place ourselves in your care. Today, as we continue to emerge from more than a year of COVID, as this church and churches everywhere seek new ways to spread your message and the mission, while numbers fall, while influence fades, we pray for boldness to weather the storm and to emerge stronger more hopeful, more faithful, as we continue to dedicate ourselves to service of you and of each other. In this world of fear and hope, of pain and healing, of sadness and joy, we pray for your constant presence, your constant love, your constant care to be seen by all people that we and they will be supported and sustained through you. We pray for all those charged with and seeking to lead this country and all countries, that they will know your constant presence and serve all people, not just their own interests. Gracious God, in these times of change, we pray that we will know that you our faith will be strengthened, that we will find support in your love and in the care of our brothers and sisters. Help us to be your witnesses today and every day. For all these things, we pray in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever. Amen.
May we never wander from the truth. May we uphold each other in prayer. May we go in faith to serve God in word and action. Let us go as God's beloved, as brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen.